just ask you this question this morning as we begin. What comes to your mind when you think of the cross? Jesus is a good answer. (laughs) When I just was thinking about this and typed in Google search, just the word cross, all kinds of things popped up. Crossfit is a suggestion, crossword puzzles, um, cross product, which I don't even understand what that is, cross tattoos, lots of suggestions came up. But when you think about the word the cross, what comes to your mind? In the first century, people living in the Roman Empire would have been stricken with terror at the sound of the cross, those words, the cross. In fact, it was not considered polite conversation to bring up the word cross or to talk about a crucifixion. It was so disgusting, it was so horrendous and so horrible that no one would talk about that. It was the end of someone's life. And Rome put people to death that they considered enemies of the state. In fact, we're told by Josephus about when Rome surrounded the city of Jerusalem and basically laid siege against it, but had a two to three year starvation plan first. And this is what Josephus tells us in a book called The Jewish Wars. Titus's troops captured any who ventured out to look for food. When caught, they resisted or were, and then, I'm sorry, and were then tortured and crucified before the walls as a terrible warning to the people within. Out of hatred and rage, the soldiers nailed their prisoners in different postures, and so great was their number that space could not be found for the crosses. Can you imagine that? To see the city of Jerusalem being laid siege, and when people came out, they would be captured, tortured, and then crucified on display for anyone inside the city who might think of venturing out. And so many crosses have been accumulated around the city of Jerusalem that space could hardly be found. What horror that must have been for people. So when we think of the cross, we put it on all kinds of things, from our jewelry to tattoos. We decorate crosses. We put them in graveyards. We put children's names on them. We put them in funeral homes decorated with flowers. We put them on flags. And we put them as symbols for our churches. In fact, our logo at Mercy Hill Church is a cross. And when we designed this, we wanted to have a cross that was both modern-looking and ancient-looking. But people in the first century would be thinking, what are you doing? This is not beautiful at all. This is a symbol of torture and death. And so, in their minds, it might look something like this. You have something like a torture device that is designed to put people to death like an electric chair together with your church name. That just wouldn't be intelligible to anyone. A few moments ago, we sang that song, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, and we sung these words together. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. And so what would it mean to glory in the cross? For first century people living in the Roman Empire, that's an oxymoron. You do not glory in that torture device. You despise it. You hate it. We're going to talk about that today because the Apostle Paul, who once despised the movement of Jesus, 
became one of the greatest proclaimers of the message of Jesus. And he talks about boasting in the cross. So just remember who the Apostle Paul was. He was this one-time enemy of Jesus. He was a part of the group of people who conspired to put Jesus to the death. He went around the Roman Empire when his followers said that we've seen him alive, and he sought to put them in prison, and he oversaw the first execution of a Christian. He thought his zeal was accomplishing what God wanted. And so he met Jesus, was converted, and then Jesus had grace on him and sent him out as his ambassador to the Roman Empire. And there was this group of Christians living in the city of Galatia that Paul was really concerned about because he had established this church, but other people had come in with different messages. And he was afraid they were losing the gospel. They were losing the very thing that Jesus died to win for them. And so he writes this letter, and in chapter 6, he says these stunning words. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Paul, would you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ? We might say, Paul, I can understand why you would boast in the empty tomb of Jesus. That sounds really good. But why boast in the cross of Jesus? What's so significant about that? There's another translation that puts it like this. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think about this this morning as we dive deeper in our understanding of the gospel. What does it mean to boast? If we were to examine the Greek, just dig into it a little bit, we would see that the semantic range has this as a definition. To boast, to glory in, to rejoice in, or to exult in a person or a thing. This is something that that you get excited about, that stirs your soul. One person uh, defined it like this. It means to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boasts or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory or our boast is our obsession. So the Apostle Paul if we can use those definitions and just kind of put that into the verse to help us understand, is saying, far be it from me to glory in, to trust in, to revel in, to live for, to be obsessed with anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stop and just ask ourselves the question, are we tracking with what he's saying here? Is your experience as a follower of Jesus akin to the Apostle Paul's, where what you want to boast about, what you want to revel in, what you are obsessed with is the cross of Jesus. That's a good question. And it's a clarifying question. So let's just ask, why should we be obsessed with the cross? If the Apostle Paul was obsessed with the cross and he was writing these first followers of Jesus, encouraging them to follow in his footsteps, to be obsessed with the cross, to glory in it, to boast in it, why should we do that? Paul would write in that letter I referred to a while ago, 1 Corinthians, these words. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here, the Apostle Paul summarizes the message of Jesus Christ as the word of the cross. And he says, look, this doesn't make sense to a lot of people. To proclaim that salvation is found in a crucified man, that the Roman Empire put to death, that just doesn't make sense. It's, it's foolish. It's, it's folly. But Paul says, look, if you get it, if you understand what God was doing in that moment when Christ was crucified, you too will glory in the cross. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and me, that means the, the most horrible person who has ever lived and the most beautiful person who has ever lived, except for Jesus. He's the most beautiful, the second most beautiful person. Let's put it that way. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we failed at being human. God has called us to live in a certain way that brings glory to him, and each of us has fallen short of that. The prophet Isaiah put it like this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. That's horrible news for people who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we can diagram it like this. Between God's holiness and my sinfulness, there is this enormous gap. It's like if you were running at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you leapt out. <laughs> None of us is going to make it to the other side. Some of us might make it a little bit further than others, but we're all going to fall miserably short. And so the scriptures tell us that Christ suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What God was doing in that moment when the Jews and Romans conspired to put Jesus to death was he was laying the sins of the world upon the broad shoulders of Jesus where he condemned them. And so Jesus, the righteous one, suffered for the unrighteous, people like you and me, that he might bring us to God. That's interesting. We're told that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So the ways we strayed this last week, and indeed in our whole life, somehow became the identity of Jesus on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then we're told in the scriptures that he, that is God, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so if you are to think of our life as a ledger sheet, and we have all these debits, ways in which we failed, God took that ledger sheet and nailed it to the cross. And there Jesus dealt with our sins. And that's good news. And so... That cross of Jesus bridges that gap for us. When we trust Jesus, we are brought into a reconciled relationship with God. And that's glorious news. That is good news. And so we can say then with the Apostle Paul, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can sing together, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. And that's good. Most of us get that if we've been around the church or been around Christians or we've read our scripture, that basic knowledge of the scriptures comes out for us. And we also know that when we initially repent, that is turn 
away from our life of independence and turn toward God in faith, we trust in Jesus, we are enrolled in a lifelong apprenticeship with Jesus in a new way of being human. He calls us not only to forget, he, he forgives our sins, and he calls us to trust in that, but he also calls us to follow him and to in, in dwell and inhabit a new way of being human. And there's a subtle error that sometimes creeps in here. We start getting this picture of our ideal self. <laughs> we know that God has forgiven us, and we know that we're on a trajectory of, of following Jesus and seeking to put his teachings into practice. And so we have this vision of our ideal self. And then we begin to forget the cross and its significance. And so we see ourselves perhaps getting better, making strides, and we attribute that to our efforts. And we think, I'm getting better. In fact, when other people look at you, they begin to notice differences in your life. You seem to be more patient. You seem to be more loving. Your, your anger doesn't flare up like it used to. Not that you're living perfectly, but you're doing better. And so you begin to believe, I'm, I'm getting better. And in some ways you are. But if the focus of your getting better is pulling yourself up your, by your bootstraps, that's where the critical error takes place. In fact, we can put it like this. It is at this point that Christians often make a critical mistake. We forget the gospel. And so what was our glory begins to fade as what takes center stage is our efforts, our discipline, our habit of going to church, our reading the Bible, our, our prayer life. And these things are good. But they can also be fueled by our pride and by our ego. And what happens oftentimes in this is the, the cross of Jesus, yeah, it's, it's important, but it begins to fade. At one point it was what we gloried in. But now we're not, you say the cross is for people who don't yet believe. What, it's up to me now to live the Christian life. And so a couple errors creep in when this happens. First of all, oftentimes, if we're successful somewhat at living the Christian life and following Jesus, we begin to become self-righteous. And I don't have to convince you that this is a major problem among many Christians. I've battled self-righteousness in my own life. Perhaps you have too. We certainly know people who feel like the world would be a better place if everyone was just like them. But oftentimes, this other result takes place. And that's just simply exhaustion. I can't live this life that I'm called to live. I'm burned out. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I keep screwing up in the same way. There's got to be more for me than this. And something else takes place as we progress along in time and following Jesus. Our vision of God's holiness and his character actually begins to increase more. <laughs> and God, by his grace, begins to show us more and more of our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. And so what we began to understand when we first became followers of Jesus, that that cross bridges the gap, <laughs> we're left wondering, does it still do that? Because God is far more holy than I thought. And I'm learning I'm not nearly as holy as I thought I was. In fact, we read scriptures like this that say, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. 
we think to ourselves, if that's true, I screwed up big time last week. How does God think about me now? Or (laughs) we hear what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We go from thinking, I haven't committed adultery. But then we hear these words of Jesus. He says, look, if you've looked on someone with lust, adultery is already blossoming in your heart. And we go, whoa. Or we hear these words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you say to someone, you worthless fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And you think, ah, man, did God hear what I said to that person who cut me off in traffic last week? My case is much more severe than I thought. Let's look at a case study with the Apostle Paul for just a moment. And maybe we can understand why he's learning to boast in the cross. At around AD 50... Uh, four, he wrote to the Corinthians and he said this. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is interesting. As he interacts with these people who are struggling to know what it means to follow Jesus in a Roman empire, he tells them, Look, I am the least of the apostles. I'm like, Okay, that's interesting. I can understand that. You used to persecute Followers of Jesus, you oversaw executions of them. I can understand why you would say that. But then a little bit later, in AD 62, he wrote a letter called Ephesians, which is in our New Testament. And he said this, Although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And so we see Paul in his own thinking kind of shift from saying, I'm the least of all the apostles, to now saying, I am less than the least of all God's people. You take the person kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, I'm actually under that person. (laughs) And then towards the end of his life, he wrote a letter to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, and he said this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Notice that progression. Over a course of about a decade, he goes from saying, I am the least of the apostles, to I am the least of the saints, of God's people, to I am the worst of sinners. Now, I find this interesting Because I'm convinced that if you and I, at AD 64, were following the Apostle Paul around, I wonder if we would see him sin. You know, it's not like he comes home at night mad and he kicks the dog or something like that. I imagine it would be something like being in the presence of Billy Graham. Or or someone else that might come to your mind who who is full of faith. I mean, this man has endured beatings. They've attempted to stone him to death. He's been shipwrecked. 
He's been through all kinds of grief for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And I imagine if we were in his presence, we would feel very close to Jesus himself. And yet, he could say at AD 64, I am the worst of sinners. I think what Paul is understanding is not so much that he is sinning more, but he is becoming more aware of his sin. Oh, he had stayed faithful to God in the sense that he didn't commit adultery. But he sees lust at work in his own heart. He never, well, I couldn't say he never murdered anyone. Before he went on his killing rampage, he never murdered anyone. But now he's really struggling with anger. And so we might not see it, but he's aware of what's going on in his own heart. And so what happens if when our understanding of God's holiness increases and our own selfishness increases as well that gap gets even bigger than we thought if the cross of christ is not growing in proportion to that gap we begin doing things like performing okay lord i'm sorry i did that i'm gonna put extra money in a plate when it comes around this sunday at church or you know what i'm going to go volunteer at the food bank and so we begin to perform in order to make up for what we see as that gap or we pretend we just say, well, it's just a look. It's not that big of a deal. Or, yes, I've, I've lived for myself all week long, but I'm going to go to this Bible study, and I'm going to pretend like I have it all together. And so when we're performing or pretending, there's no place for the gospel in our life. There's no opportunity to boast. And so when Paul says, far be it from me, that I would boast in anything except for the gospel. He's bringing the gospel front and center, not only in his experience, but in the experience of the, the Galatians as well. And so we might put it like this. <laughs> Don't forget to remember the gospel. I remember reading an article one time in which it was one of these things that pastors read. It was about a seminary, and they're talking about a D-men class, a doctor of ministry class that pastors will sometimes go back and they'll get another degree. And the first day in this doctor of ministry class, the professor stood up and said, before we get going, I want you guys to break down in groups of two and preach the gospel to one another. And this room full of pastors looked at the professor like he had a trunk growing out of his nose or something. They're like, what does he mean? Does he not think that we're believers? And so these pastors made a mistake of thinking what a lot of Christians think, that the gospel is for those who don't yet believe. Discipline is for people who believe. And so those ministers forgot the gospel. What would you say if I were to have everyone right now just break down in groups of two and say, preach the gospel to one another? What would you say to one another? The Apostle Paul said this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is bedrock. I remember talking to a, a young man who had fallen once again into the temptation and sin of looking at pornography. And he was just beaten up with it. And he was telling me, John, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I keep falling into this sin over and over again. 
And so we just had a conversation about what happened. And so he told me kind of what led up to it and what he was thinking. And now he's just browsing over here and just made his way over and, and found some pornography. And then I said, well, what happened with that? He said, well, I looked at it. Indulged myself. I said, okay, well, what happened after that? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, after you got done, what did you do? He said, well, I, just, I went back home. I'm like, all right. Then what would you do? And so what I was searching for as a pastor was to see if he had gone back to God yet with this. And he hadn't. What he was doing was he was just flagellating himself. He was beating himself up. And so I finally just asked him, what difference does it make for you that Jesus died 2,000 years ago for your sins and rose again from the dead? And then it clicked for him. Oh, yeah. My Savior's on a rescue mission for me. He wants to forgive me of my sins. He wants to empower me if you obedient. So we had this great talk about what it means to believe that Christ died for you and to believe that afresh all over again as if for the first time. The Apostle Paul would say this to a group of Christians living in the town of Colossae. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives for him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, just like you began the Christian life, keep on. So how did you begin the Christian life? We repented of our sins, and we trusted in Jesus. And that led to new life in Christ. So now, five years later, ten years later, 25 years later, 50 years later, how do we continue living the Christian life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means we keep repenting and we keep trusting in him. And new life emerges when we do that. And so this is what I want to see happening in your life and in my life as well. When that gap enlarges between your understanding of God's holiness and his character and your own sinfulness and selfishness enlarges, I want us to learn what it means to boast in the cross of Jesus again. To learn how to believe that that is actually for me. That it wasn't just for the first time I sinned or the thousandth time I sinned, but for this time as well. I love what Brian Hedges said in his book, Christ Formed in You, which is a great book, by the way. He said, spiritual growth is not about moving on from where we began, the gospel. It's about growing deeper in the gospel, or rather, getting the gospel deeper in us. Can I read that one more time? Spiritual growth is not about moving on from where we began, the gospel. It's about growing deeper in the gospel, or rather, getting the gospel deeper in us. So let me just ask you a question, my friends. Do you feel like the gospel is getting deeper in you? That all that God did for you in the cross of Jesus Christ is becoming more precious to you now than it was this time last year or when you first believed? I love seeing people come to faith in Jesus because they're, they're filled with joy. They're just blown away by the fact that God had mercy on them. And they're some of the most joyful people to be around. But oftentimes Christians become joyless because they forget the gospel. If you were filled with joy when you first believed, 5, 10, 25, 50 years ago, how much more should you be filled with joy now? My friends, have you forgotten to remember the gospel? 
the cross of Jesus. J.I. Packer put it like this in his book, Rediscovering Holiness. He said, the life of holiness is one of downward growth all the time. It is a progress into personal smallness that allows the greatness of Christ's uh, grace to appear. The sign of this sort of progress is that they say increase, is that they increasingly feel and say that in themselves they are nothing, and God in Christ has become everything for their ongoing life. That's just another way of saying boasting in the cross of Jesus. So as we grow downward in personal smallness, we do so so that the greatness of Christ can increase. As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And so that cross, my friends, should get bigger. So let me just give you a couple points of application. The first one is this. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself. You didn't just need the gospel when you first believed. You need it now more than ever. We don't forget it. We live by it. And so what would happen if we began to learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves? To say, yes, the gospel is something that people who don't yet believe need, but it's also something that I need as well. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Do you believe that? The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel? More important than brushing our teeth? Getting exercise? Yes! The most important habit, daily habit, that we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. And friends, I've shared this quote with you before, but I want to do it again. I'm probably going to do it from now on until Jesus comes back. This is Packer in his book, Knowing God. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can now disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. You see, my friends, when we believe in Jesus, our life is hidden with God in Christ. And so God calls us to live as he sees us, as righteous in Christ. And when we mess up, when we sin, he doesn't call us to go beat ourselves up. He simply says, come home. Return to me. Trust in my son all over again. And so my friends, here's a second point of application. You don't have to hide anymore. If you boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can have freedom with the apostle Paul to say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually screwed up. My heart actually goes astray more than I like. I find things within me that I don't like. And you can ask people to pray for you. You can confess that to one another. You don't have to pretend that you're something that you're not. You don't have to hide anymore. My friends, the reason why this is important and the reason why we're revisiting this here at Mercy Hill Church is because if this gets into our DNA, if we actually believe what the Apostle Paul believed, that we should boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus, that has a major effect on the way we relate to one another. Let's just contrast that to the way the effect of a pharisaical mindset would be. If we believe that when we gather together as a church or in our small groups together, that we have to fool one another, that we have to pretend to be something that we're not, 
Do we have to exaggerate our goodness? That's a terrible place to be. There's no authenticity. There's no real relating to one another. In my previous church, I had a friend named Richard, and he and his wife, Marie, had come from a church that was like that. It had ended up folding because there's so much infighting. They ended up just closing the church. And they came to the church that I was pastoring there, and we would say things oftentimes like this. We're all learning that we're much more sinful and jacked up and screwed up than we often have the courage to admit, but that in Christ, we find that we're more loved and accepted and cherished by our Heavenly Father than we ever dared to dream. And then something began switching in him. He's like, this is different. This atmosphere is different. And he said to me, he's like, in my old church, we had to wear masks. We couldn't admit that we struggled or that we had doubts because we would get judged. My friends, if if we're understanding what Paul's saying, there is much freedom to admit we don't have it all together. Yes, we're seeking to follow Jesus. Yes, we're wanting to become more holy as we apprentice with him in a new way of being human. But we haven't arrived yet. It's a lifelong journey. And that frees me to admit to you that your pastor is not more holy than he should be. (laughs) I mess up. I sin. I screw up. But I do want to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. I do want to live in a way that you guys can be proud of. And so I'm learning myself to boast in the cross of Jesus more and more. There's a book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges, which is, I mean, so many books I could just recommend (laughs) and just have us uh, dwell in. This was another good one here. But Jerry Bridges said this. He said, the gospel applied to our hearts every day frees us to be brutally honest with ourselves and with God. We can call sin exactly what it is, regardless of how ugly and shameful it may be, because we know that Jesus bore that sin in his body on the cross. With the assurance of total forgiveness through Christ, we have no reason to hide our sins anymore. My friends, how comfortable are you in confessing sins to one another? grabbing coffee with someone saying, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling in this area. Can you preach the gospel to me? Can you remind me of God's goodness and grace in Christ? I would hope that that's something we could do with one another. And when we confess sins to one another, it's not met with a, how could you screw up like that? Man, you've been a Christian this long? <laughs> but rather it's met with, you know what, I understand. I struggle with sin as well. And let me tell you about the grace of God in Christ. Let's boast in the cross together. I've told you the story of Charles Spurgeon before. It's the time when this uh, Victorian Baptist minister was preaching, and he just preached to crowds, sometimes 10,000, 15,000. He didn't have amplification like I have here. He had this big, rich, booming voice that I'm very envious of. But anyway, he was preaching one day and just preaching his heart out and He ascended the stairs. He had a pulpit that was up on stairs, and he went down there, made his way to the back of the church, and as people were filing out, he was standing there with his elders, and this woman came up to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I want you to know that you're one of the most arrogant, prideful, self-righteous people I've ever heard. And she turned with a huff and walked out. So Spurgeon, sitting there with his elders, just turned to them and said, she doesn't know the half of it. 
We're going to sing a song in a moment when I survey the wondrous cross. And it has this line. I'm going to invite you to make it your prayer. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. So my friends, when someone asks you the question, what comes to your mind when you think of the cross? You can say, Jesus. But you should also say, it's my glory. It's what I boast about. It's my salvation. It's my obsession. It is my very life. So Mercy Hill Church, let us excel in boasting about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ.